Welcome to Sightseeing Japan, the podcast where we explore the land of convenience. I'm Paul Bresson. And I'm Jason Neeling. And today our topic is konbini, or Japanese convenience stores. And we're doing a whole episode about these because convenience stores in Japan are extremely convenient. And I don't think it would be an exaggeration to say that they can be your lifeline in Japan. Konbini are always going to be there for you. Like an old friend. Right, Paul? Yes. Konbini are an integral part of cities in Japan, and you're going to find them very useful on your travels. Yeah. I mean, they're integral to just life in Japan in general, I would say. So let's get into it. All right. Now, where do they get the name Konbini? Konbini is short for convenience. So... Japan takes a lot of words from other languages, and then basically what they do is they pronounce it in Japanese, and then they a lot of times shorten it to something kind of cuter. So they saw American convenience stores, and they shortened convenience stores to konbini, and that's what they call convenience stores in Japan now. It's a catchy name. Yeah. Nice and short. Fun to say. Yeah. So Japanese konbini, the foundation is they're, they're similar to convenience stores you would find in the U.S., but if I may say so, they're way better. They just have so much more that you don't find in the U.S. Yeah, I'd say they're about the same size. They have the same type of stuff, but uh, they're very polished, like lots of good products, lots of things they offer, which yeah. we'll get into. Yeah, so Japan not only likes to take words from other languages and twist them into a new Japanese word, but they also are known for taking ideas from other cultures and kind of honing them. And I would say that convenience stores are a good example of how Japan has taken an idea and run with it and really made it even more convenient. Yeah, and Japan is kind of a perfect place for convenience stores because so many people walk or ride the train. So you get concentrated people traveling in small areas. So it's perfect places to put convenience stores up. Right. I mean, the greater Tokyo area alone houses about a third of the population of the entire country of Japan. So you got a lot of people running around in a I mean, a relatively small area. I mean, Tokyo is still an enormous city, but you know, to have a third of the population of the whole country in this area, they can get a lot done with convenience stores. Yeah. So in Tokyo alone, there are over 7,000 convenience stores. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use konbini. I don't want to say convenience yeah, stores. Yeah, keep, keep using konbini. But in the entirety of Japan, you have over 55,000 convenience I almost did it again, Paul. <laughs> Over 55,000 konbini in Japan. Konbini, konbini, konbini. Yeah, got to get that in my head. Most of these are also open 24-7. I believe I saw it's about one konbini per 2,000 citizens in the country. Sounds about right. Most of these konbini also have a free bathroom. So if you need that, that's a super convenient. Look, they're already more convenient. Well... American convenience stores often have toilets too, I guess. But If you dare use them. Yeah. Both I mean, of us have worked at 
what you could call a convenience store in America. Mm-hmm. Oh man, I remember having to clean those bathrooms. Yeah. But let's not fall too far down that trail. Yeah. <laughs> the bathrooms in general in Japan are super clean. Anyway, there are several companies that have konbini in Japan. The three main ones are 7-Eleven, which you might recognize, Lawson, and Family Mart. But there are other companies too. You got Mini Stop, Circle K, Sunkus is one. There are a bunch of them. But uh, let's dive into one of the main things that kombinis have to offer, which is food. And we're not talking the kind of stuff that you would see in American convenience stores like candy, chips, cookies. That's kind of most of the kind of food you see in the U.S. There might be like a deli sort of section with some sandwiches. Some yeah, you can, you can get eat. hot sandwiches, sometimes pizza slices and stuff like that. Hot dogs yeah. in America. Yeah, but I would say Japan has a wider selection and generally a much healthier selection. So let's start with fresh bread. Usually when you walk into a convenience, excuse me, a konbini, there's going to be a bread section right? Yep. But it's not going to look like your bread section at the grocery store with a bunch of loaves of bread. We're talking like specialty bread. Yeah. They've got buns and uh, sweet breads, all sorts of stuff. Melon bread, my favorite. Yeah. Melon bread is good. They got cheesy breads. I remember I got these little balls of bread covered in cheese. That was pretty (laughs) cool. Um, You'll find bread with like chocolate inside it. You'll find stuff with meat. I remember there was a really good one I got where it's just kind of a flat piece of artisan bread with some sort of like mayo sauce on there, cheese, and then a couple strips of bacon. Oh, wow. So good. I got multiple ones of those, let me assure you. Um, You'll also see some hot dogs in there sometimes, like a French-style hot dog where it's a little baguette with a hot dog in the middle. (laughs) So a lot of different bread options if you're into that. Another thing you'll find is onigiri. And Paul, I believe you mentioned this in the last episode a little bit. Why don't you tell us about that? Yes. Onigiri are rice balls. Every kombini is going to have them in multiple flavors. And they're delicious. They are delicious. I got a sweet potato one that was so good. I had to go back and get like two more. It was like the best rice ball I've ever had in my life. My personal favorite is the tuna mayo one. Mm. They put some tuna and mayo in the middle. And all these rice balls, this is is pretty cool the way they package them because you got the rice in the middle, but then normally these rice balls are eaten with seaweed wrapped around them. But, you know, if they wrapped it in seaweed and then packaged it, the seaweed would, would get all soggy. That's no fun. So... What they do is, it's almost like a double wrap. The rice is wrapped in plastic, and then there's a seaweed wrap around that, and then it's wrapped in plastic again. And there are little instructions on the packaging. It's really easy to kind of pull the plastic out so that you're left with just the rice wrapped in Yeah, there's little tabs you can like pull on that like unwrap the plastic. And rice balls don't last super long. So one interesting note I found about kombinis is the advantage of there being so many. There could be, you know, 10 7-Elevens in a five-kilometer radius. It makes it cheaper for them to do deliveries to the store. 
Mm-hmm. So most kombinis get two to five fresh food deliveries every single day. Yeah, that allows them to offer like super fresh meals, like and full meals. Too. I can tell you from experience that's not how it's done in America. If you walk in at eight p.m. to buy a donut in a convenience store in America, that donut's been sitting there for twelve plus hours, guaranteed. Yeah. So in addition to the nigiri, like the actual ball of rice, you'll also see ones that is basically the same thing, just in a different shape. They kind of have these little cylinders, almost like a sushi hand roll a little bit. But yeah, same kind of thing. Got a lot of triangle-shaped Yeah, that's balls. kind of the standard. Yeah. When they say ball, yeah, it's usually yeah. triangle. Yeah, And actually, I mean, we could do a whole episode on, <laughs> on, on rice nigiri balls. anyway, yeah. but um, that shape is actually... A regional thing too. Some parts of Japan, when they make rice balls, they're actual round balls. In some places, they're triangles. But in addition to your rice balls, they're also going to have a lot of sandwiches. And this part is a little similar to U.S. convenience stores, but they might have some more Japanese type options of sandwiches. Yeah, and there's also going to be like pre-made meals. Like you might be able to find some curry rice. That you just need to heat up, and there's gonna be frozen dinners. Yeah, I mean there'll be a big section with a bunch of bentos, right? All sorts of different pre-made meals, and I mean there's a lot of variety. Like you could just eat that and never get sick of it. They're gonna have like rice bowls with some meat on top. Yeah, you get a they're salad. Gonna, yep, they're gonna have some stuff with maybe like some rice and fried chicken next to it or something. And the cool thing is when you bring it up to pay for it, they're always going to ask you if you want it heated up, like if you want to eat it right away. Yeah. So that's pretty convenient. A lot of kombinis have uh, a table or two, so you'd sit down and eat. Mm-hmm. Instant ramen is a big thing at kombini. A lot of times you'll see like almost an entire aisle of different types of instant ramen. Yeah, which you could heat up at the store as well. Yeah, a lot of times they'll have a little hot water dispenser so you can... Get it done right there. Yep. So, Paul, you and I actually visited the Cup Noodle Museum in Yokohama. That was pretty cool. That was an amazing experience. Yeah. The amount of dedication, experimentation that has gone into instant ramen noodles in the last, what, 60 plus years in Japan is just amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's a real success story. This guy that invented instant noodles was, what, in his 60s or something? He was at least like mid-50s by the time he had a workable product. Well, he didn't even start trying to make these noodles until pretty late in his life. Yeah, he was like 50 when he started experimenting in a little shed in his backyard. Yeah. At the museum, they even had a little a replica of his shed. Yeah. I like the room they had where they had one pack of like every type of instant ramen noodles ever made. It's this huge room where the whole walls, I don't even know, 15 feet high, are just packed with different flavors and types of ramen, sorted by what year they first debuted. Yeah. They were all from the Cup Noodle Company, though. Right. There's probably a million other types from other companies and stuff, too. Yeah. And actually, that's kind of one of my favorite facts from that uh, museum is that just the story of how that that company came to be and how instant noodles proliferated throughout Japan. So this guy created a company and he, I mean, he had spent years perfecting these noodles, but then when other companies saw him doing that, of course, they wanted a piece of that pie, right? So they started making their own instant noodles, but he noticed that, you know, the quality wasn't the same 
And he really didn't want this new product to fail just because some other companies weren't doing it as well. So in the U.S., what would probably happen is that company would, would sue them into oblivion. <laughs> exactly. He would make sure you know nobody else could make those. And this, I feel like, says a lot about the Japanese mindset, is that his solution was to gather all like the CEOs of all these different instant noodle companies, and he shared his process with them and told them, it's better if we all have a standardized product, like we're all operating at a high quality so that we can all find ways to differentiate our own products, but we're making sure that this industry stays afloat. Yeah, all the noodles are going to be quality. Yeah, I mean, that's awesome. You can tell that like his biggest motivation wasn't just making money. Yeah, I'm sure he wanted to, and I'm sure he liked it. But what drove him, I think, all those years experimenting in his little shed, he saw a problem. He saw like there's not enough convenient, quick meals for people on the go. Yeah, he had a vision and he made it happen. Yeah, and he wanted to solve that problem, and he did. Yeah. Uh, absolute legend. Yeah, pretty amazing story. You know, it reminds me of another thing that I learned just to kind of drive home that point of that very Japanese mindset. In 2011, there was a big tsunami that hit Japan and destroyed a lot. I mean, a, yeah. a big part of the coast, like entire cities, you know, buildings were washed away. And I remember seeing this thing about, a, I believe it was a soy sauce company where like all their facilities were destroyed. And these other companies helped this company regain their footing. Like they would give them product and let them sell it under their label just to keep the company alive. That's amazing. Yeah, that would never happen in the U.S. I just No, in the U.S. That. they'd be like, oh, we'll, we'll buy you for dirt cheap, you know, and then like once you're back on your feet, we'll make a bunch of money. Yeah. Anyway, getting back to instant ramen. So these days, there are a bunch of different companies that make instant ramen, and there are a ton of varieties. You don't just have like maybe the shrimp and chicken and beef ones that you'll find in the U.S. They have all sorts of flavors. Hundreds and hundreds of varieties. Yeah. One of my favorites is the cheese curry one. Oh, good stuff. Which is like, I don't know who came up with that, but I guess it worked. It, it does. It does work. At the uh, Cup Noodle Museum, we got to make our own instant yeah. noodles. That was pretty cool. It was cool. We got to decorate our cups, and then they had a bunch of different ingredients and like yeah, broth pick your toppings, mixes. pick your broth mix, and uh, yeah. then they seal it all up for you. Yep, it was a good time. Yeah, it was. Uh, so let's talk about konbini sushi. Now, this might remind you of gas station sushi, which in the U.S. has a reputation for being poisonous and disgusting. <laughs> but actually, like Paul said earlier, since these kombini get shipments multiple times a day, this sushi is super fresh and actually pretty good. Yeah, there's a decent chance it was made within the last few hours. That's pretty good. Yeah. There's not a lot of time for that rice to get all dry and blah. Right. I've worked at places where we sold box sushi before. It's marked for like Good for the next three days. Uh, it's you know, not. But no, no one wants to eat two-day-old sushi. <laughs> yeah. So you might notice we've been talking about a lot of like pretty healthy food. A rice ball, that can be super healthy. Sandwiches, depending on your which one you choose, those can be healthy. The bento are gener generally going to be healthy. Speaking of sandwiches, I just got to mention, they've got this sandwich 
that's strawberries and cream inside white bread that you can find at Kombini's. I'm going to have to look for that. It's not vegan, but I had it my first time in Japan. Oh, it's so good. Right up my alley. It does sound good. I've never seen that, I don't think. I wonder if that was just a limited time thing. Might have been a seasonal thing. Yeah, that could be. So other healthy stuff, you're, you're probably going to be able to find some vegetables, fruit. Uh, we mentioned oh, salad. Sure. Apples, bananas, eggs. oranges, you can probably get. Yep. If you want a little less healthy stuff, at the checkout, there's often a big case with a bunch of hot foods. For example, fried chicken. Yes. Oh. Almost everyone's probably going to have fried chicken. Yeah. And Japanese fried chicken is some good stuff. Probably a few other things in there as well. Yep. You're going to find some like steamed buns filled with meat or something, vegetables perhaps. Yeah. They're also going to have a lot of your standard stuff that you might find in the U.S., like chips, candy, tea, soda, snacks. But you might find some unusual flavors that you're not used to seeing. Those seaweed chips were good. Yeah, I like those a lot. Also, I remember on my first trip there, I was I was surprised to find some Caesar salad potato chips. Oh, really? Yeah, those are tasty. Yeah, I should mention the seaweed chips were potato chips. Yeah, yeah. Kind of seaweed flavored or little pieces of seaweed on them. Yeah. Also, I remember getting some Eggs Benedict Pringles. <laughs> what? Yeah. That's, that's inventive. Yeah. yeah, you might even see brands that you're familiar with, but flavors that they definitely do not sell in the U.S. I'm pretty sure I saw some seafood Doritos. Yeah, and if you're like talking Kit Kats, oh. they've got so many flavors of Kit Kats. Don't even get me started on Kit Kats. <laughs> yeah, they, they have a ridiculous number of flavors of Kit Kats. Those are seasonal a lot of the time, too. Yeah. I remember I had some chili Kit Kats. What? Yeah. Are they spicy? Yeah. That was kind of the only thing about them, really. I didn't taste a lot of, like, chili pepper itself. It tasted like a normal Kit Kat, but then there's a little bit of afterburn. That's interesting. Yeah. It was good, though. So they also have some Japanese drinks that you won't see. In the U.S., for example, bubble tea. Well, you can find bubble tea in the U.S., but generally not at convenience stores. Right. They also have sports drinks. Japan has a pretty cool sports drink called Pokari Sweat. Yeah. Tastes just like sweat, right? It's No, it tastes like <laughs> sugar. Yeah. It's pretty good. It took me a while to get over the name. I think yeah. when I saw it, I was like, I don't want to drink sweat, but it's more like drink this drink when you're sweating. Yeah, it's full of electrolytes, right? Yeah, it's like a Gatorade. Yeah, it's good for uh, after a night of drinking. Yeah. And I would say it tastes a little bit like sweetened grapefruit is how I would describe it. But not it's not a really strong flavor. Like it's mostly yeah, watery. Yeah, it's not, not super strong. Yeah. Mostly sweet. Yeah. They're also going to have alcoholic drinks at almost... All kombini, I think. Yeah, so pick up your Picari Sweat when you pick up your sake or your beer. Yeah, and they have such a huge variety, too. You got a bunch of different kinds of beer. You got a bunch of different kinds and sizes of sake. You got a bunch of wine, probably. I remember there's like a whole shelf of whiskey, and not just Japanese whiskey, either. They had like these little bottles of scotch, it was it was amazing. Really? Yeah, yeah, wow. I didn't know they had as much hard stuff at Kombini's. Yeah, they can. That's cool. Yeah. There's also a drink called Strong Zero. Did you ever try a Strong Zero? I don't think so. What it is is a malt beverage. You might 
compare it to something like Smirnoff Ice, something oh, like that. It gross. usually has, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the stuff is usually like a fruity flavor. You know, they got grape and okay. apple or peach or whatever. Yeah, some people like that. Yeah. The main difference, though, is that Strong Zero is true to its name. It is strong. These things are usually about 9, 10% alcohol. Okay, that's not like Smirnoff Ice. No, that part is not. <laughs> wow. And they will, they will mess you up. juiced on fruit-flavored drinks. Yeah. Nice. Let's see. Another thing that you'll see at Combini a lot is seasonal items. So there might be different flavors of drinks that they sell at certain times. In the winter, you know, they'll sell different kinds of hot drinks, that kind of thing. Also, so this is pretty interesting, and I don't know how true this is about American convenience stores, but in Japan, they basically cater to the local area, like really local. So there could be convenience stores that are just a few blocks apart that are selling totally different things because, I mean, think about it. You got millions of people walking through this city. Most of them have kind of a daily routine, right? They have a favorite kombini that they stop at on the way to work, perhaps, right. or on the way home. So these kombinis have analytics that tell them what their regulars like to eat. Yeah. I've heard they track ages and frequency of visits and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. So if they find out that they're selling a lot of noodle dishes, let's say, they will start to introduce different kinds of noodle dishes, like provide some variety that stay within, you know, a certain category of food that people yeah. like in that area. So even two 7-Elevens half a kilometer apart could have different selections on some of the food just based on what they sell and who their clientele is. Yeah, amazing. Maybe one of them is a po on a popular route to a school, so they have more food that high school kids like, and maybe mm -hmm. other ones closer to a business park or something. Yeah. Well, I think that's pretty much my list for food. You got anything else, Paul? They also have like grocery food. They have some canned stuff and things you could find in a grocery store, just not as much of a selection and generally a little higher priced. That's kind of similar to American convenience stores too. Yeah. You can get a can of beans, but it's going to be three bucks instead of a dollar or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times there's an aisle that has just like ingredients for all sorts of standard Japanese food. So if you're on your way home and you realize, oh, this thing I wanted to make tonight, I'm missing this ingredient, stop at a convenience store, pick it up. Yep. So basically the idea is kombini food is amazing and you could feed yourself a filling meal for five or six bucks, no problem. Yeah, it's so nice to grab snacks on the go or grab a lunch when you're having a busy day and you're trying to get to your next site that you're going to see mm -hmm. or if you're coming back late towards your hotel, stop at a kombini on the way and grab some food. Super awesome, super convenient. Yep. Good food. Definitely. But food is not the only thing that kombinis offer, is it, Paul? No, it's not. No, they sell all sorts of other convenient products, body care products, cosmetics, batteries, umbrellas, if it starts raining and you don't have an umbrella, just run to the nearest kombini. They will be selling umbrellas. Yeah, for cheap, too. Yeah, yeah. A couple hundred yen or whatever, you can pick up an umbrella. Yeah. Uh, they got newspapers, of course, magazines. A lot of times when you walk into a kombini, there's going to be maybe just to your left. That whole wall will be a magazine rack. And 
you might see a lot of people just standing there reading magazines. That's pretty common to see. Yeah. There are also some adult magazines there, just out in the open, which is something you won't see much in the U.S. I I bought one my first what? time in Japan. Paul. For science. Okay. I, I guess. just wanted to see what it was like. I guess that's acceptable. Well, I mean, what did you think? It was interesting. It was okay. Okay. Uh, a lot of these adult ones are going to be taped shut, though, these days, I think, right? Yeah, I mean, I couldn't, like, page through it yeah. until after I bought it. Yeah. A lot of flight attendants. Interesting. Or, you know, they probably weren't real flight attendants. Probably not. Um, you'll also find manga a lot of times. Manga oh, is... Yeah. I know we mentioned manga in another episode, but I don't think we ever said what it actually is. We talked about manga cafes for about 20 minutes without <laughs> mentioning what manga is. Oh, man. Well, okay, here you go. Paul, what's manga? Manga is Japanese comic books. But they're not quite like American comic books, are they? No, it's Japanese style. It's rad right to left, and they've definitely got their very own distinctive style of art. Yeah, and the books themselves are a lot smaller than the standard American comic book and thicker. Right, more pages, but a smaller size. Yeah. They also, a lot of them are targeted more towards adults. Like, you, you'll find a lot more adult manga not necessarily uh quote unquote adult if you know what i'm saying yeah but, but stuff aimed towards a more mature right audience. it's just kind of like assumed that like everybody reads manga or anybody could rather than like it's a thing for kids yeah i think that's changing in america though these days with all the superhero movies becoming so popular it's kind of like cool to be into comics now yeah that's probably true. but i feel like it wasn't like that when we were kids yeah i think you're right but yeah, it's not uncommon to see like businessmen reading manga on the train in Japan. Right. Another thing they sell is cigarettes. They're pretty expensive, I think, in Japan, aren't they? I would guess, but not something I ever paid attention okay. to. Okay, not taking a stance on that. I've never bought cigarettes in Japan, full disclosure. But uh, you can buy cigarettes at convenience at Konbini. But... Smoking in Japan, you know, is surprisingly common given how few places you can actually smoke, right? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of smoking in Japan. I think it's maybe gone down a little bit in recent years, but still a significant portion of people smoke. Yeah, but most places outside, you can't smoke. Like, you'll see things painted on sidewalks, no smoking. Yeah, it doesn't stop everybody, but... Yeah. For the most part, you're walking around on the city street, like you're not going to be running into a bunch of people smoking. Yeah. So here's an unusual thing that I've noticed a lot in Japan. At a lot of public places, let's say train stations, airports, you'll find there'll be a smoking area. But it's not just like one half of a big room or something. It's like an enclosed little box. Like it almost looks like a, a glass bus stop shelter sort of thing. But they're, yeah. they're sealed. Like, they're sliding doors that shut all the way and keep the air in there. And it's kind of amazing to see just a bunch of people packed into this little room. And you can see the thick smoke hanging above <laughs> them. But outside the room, you know, there's no smoke at all. These days in Minnesota, you can find similar things in a lot of bars. Since they ban smoking inside restaurants, a lot of bars have, like, a smoking shed. It's usually not glass, like windows all the way around, so you can't really see inside. But they definitely have uh, smoking sheds around here that get really smoky, too. Hmm. I was not aware of that. 
But neither of us are smokers, so we we can't really speak a lot to not, that point. Not been tearing up the bar scene lately. Not too much. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you're if you're a smoker and you're going to Japan, uh, it might be a good idea to do a little research, figure out how that's going to work, where you're going to be able to smoke. Yeah. All right. So, any other products you can think of besides just, I mean, all I sorts mean, of general convenience stuff. The only thing I'd mention is uh, in America, convenience stores, unless you're in a really big city, is usually going to be tied to a gas station. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Japan, you rarely are going to be able to buy gas at one. Yeah, that's true. Gas stations are their own separate thing that don't really sell like a lot of food or anything like that. Yeah. And I don't know if I mentioned exactly just how concentrated these kombini are, but I mean, there could be one every block. Like no matter where you are in Tokyo, especially, you're probably not more than a block from a kombini. The hotel we stayed at in uh, Kyoto on our last trip, there was two of them right in front of the restaurant across the street from each other. Yeah. Easy to find. Yeah. I mean, that's close. If you didn't find the rice ball you wanted at one, you just walk across the street to the other one. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Even ones. It's kind of cool. Yeah. A lot of times you'll see two kombini on opposite corners of an intersection and they'll sell totally different stuff. Yeah. That's really one of my favorite things about walking around in Japan is just checking out all these kombini and seeing all the different stuff that they sell. And speaking of convenience, we should mention that I'd probably say most of them are 24-7. Most of Japan is kind of a low-crime area, so they're just not really worried about anything going wrong being open all night. Yeah. And people are comfortable going out to the store at night as well. Yeah. So... We've gone through the food and other products that are sold at Konbini, but in addition to selling stuff, they also have a bunch of services that make life in Japan just super convenient. For example, pretty much every Konbini is going to have an ATM. Yep. And that's pretty standard in the US, I think, too. Yeah. Now, for tourists, it's good to note that 7-Eleven specifically will have machines that you're most likely to be able to use to get cash if you have a foreign debit card. Yeah, could be very useful. Yeah. So next to the ATM, a lot of times you'll see a multi-use terminal. And these things are amazing. They can copy, they can fax, they can print. If you have your little uh, memory card from your digital camera and you want to print out a picture, it can do that for you. Uh, The one drawback to these machines is that they usually don't have English menus, so might not be super useful for visitors. I've heard some do, but it seems to be kind of a rare thing. Yeah, but if you do need help, you can also ask an employee there. They're always very helpful and willing to, you know, walk you through things. Another thing you can do at these terminals is you can purchase tickets. For events. Yeah. All sorts of events. Concerts, theme parks. Bus tickets. Yeah, you can get like tours there. You can even buy plane tickets. Yeah, that's that's wild. Yeah, at a convenience store. Crazy. This next part isn't is another thing that's not going to be super useful for tourists, but it's still pretty awesome. Japanese people or non-Japanese people that happen to live in Japan can go to the kombini to pay their bills. They can pay utility bills. They can pay their cell phone bill. They can pay their insurance bills. Maybe you have 
something big and bulky that you need to get rid of, like an old TV or something, you can actually order garbage collection through the Combini. That's cool. Pretty convenient, right? Yes. Something that is useful for tourists is most Combini have free Wi-Fi. So if you didn't get a pocket Wi-Fi that we've been talking about over and over again, that is an option. Yeah. So if you're in Tokyo, you're probably never more than half a block from a free Wi-Fi station. You see a find a Combini. Yep. You often have to like go into your browser and click accept terms or something to get the Wi-Fi working sometimes. Yeah. But, you know, it's easy to do. And then once you do, you got Wi-Fi. Yep. There's also something called Takuhaibin, which is a drop-off slash pickup spot for mail. So you could, if you did rent a pocket Wi-Fi at the end of your trip, you could drop it off at a Combini and they'll mail it back for you. Yeah, you you could mail some postcards out at the Combini. Yep, they have postcards a lot of the time and stamps that you can buy. Yep. If you don't want to lug your luggage around, you could have the Combini send your luggage to another Combini at like another city that you're visiting next. Yeah, absolutely. Pretty cool. They do courier services like that. Yeah. I also saw... Maybe not as uh, useful for tourists, but I thought it was really interesting. If you don't have a credit card or don't want to use your credit card to buy something online, whatever you're trying to purchase online, you can tell them, oh, I'm going to pay at 7-Eleven or whatever store, and they give you like a purchase number. You go into any 7-Eleven, give them that number, and you can pay for whatever you just bought online. Yep. That's cool. How do they think of this stuff? So convenient. They're just trying to be convenient as possible. Yep. How can we get people into our store? How can we make ourselves useful? Yeah. How can we be a big part of people's and everyday lives? With 55,000 Konbinis, they're competitive. Yeah. They yeah. got to they gotta get that next new cool thing to keep people coming in the door. Yeah. So almost every Konbini is going to have trash cans out front. And trash cans can be very hard to find in Japan. You often end up having to carry trash around with you. Littering is wrong, and it's a big no-no in Japan. So people are good about carrying around. And Jason, can you tell us why there's not many trash cans in Japan? Yeah. So basically, the idea is, the story I've heard, is that it is due to these sarin gas terrorist attacks that happened in Japan in, what was it, the early 90s? Yeah. Yeah, so they they basically put these gas bombs in trash cans. So Japan kind of responded by getting rid of places where things can be hid in public. That seems kind of like a reactionary response from the government. Like, we can't let this happen again. We'll just get rid of all trash cans. Yeah. Like, okay, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. So most trash cans are private. You got to find a trash can taken care of by a private business. Unless maybe you're in a train station, you're just not going to see public trash cans. Yeah. So Combini can be a good thing to watch for if you're carrying around a bunch of stuff you got to get rid of. Yeah. You see a Combini, swing by, get rid of your trash. Yep. So one big thing that sets apart Japanese Combini is customer service. And, I mean, this is true of all customer service in Japan for the most part, but especially at a Konbini, you're going to find that the employees are super polite. There's actually specific language that they're supposed to use in that job. There's 
a type of Japanese called keigo that people in the service industry use when they're dealing with customers. So they're going to be very polite. They're going to be very helpful. If you're ever lost in Japan, go to a konbini. Just ask the employees there. They'll be happy to help you find your way. Yeah. I just want to mention that I've made my career in sales, customer service, food service. And when I've gone to Japan, I always come back inspired because every single place you go, they're happy to see you. They welcome you when you come in the door. They go out of the way to help you. They keep things neat and clean. It's just like everywhere you go, just a really, really good customer service experience. Agreed. Uh, another thing you might come across if you're visiting a bunch of konbini in Japan is giveaways or little uh, raffle sort of things. Have you, have you come across this, Paul? Um, not that I've really like noticed because I don't read Japanese too well. Well, I mean, the way I came across it was I, I was buying some stuff at a konbini and then all of a sudden the cashier held out this box with the hole in it and she had me reach in there and grab a little piece of paper. And then if you're lucky, you might win something like a free drink or, you know, bigger prizes, all sorts of stuff that you can win. But uh, yeah, if somebody, cool. yeah, if you're buying stuff and they put a, a box in front of you, reach in there. You might be able to win something cool. Yeah. Well, I just had a few fun facts to wrap up the episode with. Let's hear them. All right. So my first facts are about 7-Eleven. 7-Eleven is the most popular chain of konbini in Japan with over 20,000 stores, more than in any other country in the world. Japan has more 7-Elevens than anywhere. Living in LA, it seemed like there were 20,000 7-Elevens. Well, apparently there weren't. I really enjoyed them, though. It was nice. I miss, I miss having a 7-Eleven on every corner. Yeah, 7-Eleven is a good company. And actually, that brings me to my second fun fact about 7-Eleven, which is that you might notice in Japan, some of these konbini say 7-Eleven on them, but some of them will have a sign that instead says 7 and I Holdings. It looks really similar to the 7-Eleven one. It's got the same colors and everything. You might not even notice that it's different. But 7&I Holdings is a holding company that owns 7-Eleven, and it also owns the 7-Elevens in the U.S. as of 2005. Yeah, you can find a lot of Japanese products at American 7-Eleven stores. I didn't know that. Yeah. I wish they would make the 7-Elevens here a little more like the ones in Japan, but... They're, they're slowly trying. Yeah. I mean, they got to cater to U.S. tastes, you know? Right. Another fun fact about 7-Eleven is they now have something called Net Konbini, which is a delivery service. It's so convenient now, you don't even need to walk to the konbini. You just stay in your apartment, have them send over some stuff. Send me some fried chicken and an instant chili ramen. Yeah. So I think I read that this is uh, something they're kind of testing out in certain markets, and depending on how it goes, they might yeah. roll it out. There's a lot of that going on in the U.S. too with DoorDash and food delivery services. Yeah. So I have some fun facts about Family Mart. Let's hear which it. Which is uh, one of the other big, it's one of the top three, Homini. So Family Mart, the way that they're trying to uh, differentiate themselves is there aren't a lot of gyms 
in Japan. There aren't a lot of places to go work out. So Family Mart decided, you know, we got all this room on top of our convenience stores. Why don't we stick gyms up there? Like open air gyms? Or are they putting a roof over it? I assume they're building a second floor and enclosed gym. That's cool. I don't recall seeing many gyms like walking around Japan. Yeah, they're not nearly as common as in the U.S. That's good. Working out's great. Yeah. That's inventive too. They're always thinking. Yeah. And then all those people on the way home from the gym, they're going to stop and buy their Procari sweat. They're going to get their rice ball. They're going to get their dinner. That's, yeah. That's, that's smart. Maybe they'll start selling more uh, protein shakes yeah, and stuff Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Protein bars, health food. Yeah. So the other, one of the top three Combini companies is called Lawson. Now- does Lawson sound Japanese to you, Paul? No, all three of the major companies sound like American names or English names. Yeah, but Lawson especially, that sounds like an American name. Right, it sounds like some guy named Lawson started a store. Well, guess what? That's exactly what happened. Really? Yeah, but it started in the U.S., not in Japan. So uh, let, let me, let me go back to the beginning. Japanese owned now? It is now, but well, I'll, I'll get there. I'll get okay, there. okay. Okay, so 1939... Ohio. Okay. I'm setting the scene. You got farmland, I guess. That's what's in Ohio, right? I don't know. 1939, Ohio. There was a dairy producer named J.J. Lawson. And he decided to open a store to sell milk because, you know, he was sick of delivering milk. Remember back then they had milkmen, right? And he's yep. like, you know what? Screw this. I'm not going to deliver milk. I'm going to make them come to me or something like that. <laughs> So he opened a store that sold milk. And then, you know, as the business grew, he started selling other household staples. And Lawson became one of the first convenience stores in the U.S. So in 1975, Lawson partnered with a Japanese company called Daie to open a franchise in Toyonaka City. Not long after that, Lawson in the U.S. unfortunately went bankrupt. But in Japan, Lawson was doing great. They expanded to over 14,000 stores. So now you got Lawson in Japan, but not in the U.S. Funny how that goes sometimes. Yeah. Uh, another fun fact about Lawson is these days, the way they're trying to differentiate themselves is they're opening what they call natural Lawsons, which sell organic food and gourmet imported products. That's interesting. That's not what you'd think you'd get at a combini, but that seems to be, at least here, where the food market's going. Yeah. But I guess I'm, in Japan, too. Yeah, I think it might be- Everyone wants natural, organic, healthy. Right. Might be a worldwide thing. I wouldn't think about going to a combini for that, but nowadays, everyone sells organic stuff. Yep. Pretty cool. Wow. Well, I'm out of fun facts. All right. So that's it for today. I think that's all we've got about Combini. Cool. Well, if you want more, you can find us at sightseeingjapanpodcast.com. And uh, what can we look forward to next week, Paul? On the next episode, we will be talking about temples and shrines in Japan. They are all over and they're beautiful. Yeah. Really cool looking places. Good way to get a taste of Japanese culture and history. So look forward to that. Thanks for listening. 
and we'll see you next time.